this is a conversation with uh, Dave Berger and Joshua Silve. Hi, Dave. Hi, Joshua. Hi, good to see you. Hi, Serge. So, so when uh, when we first planned for this, we that was before the coronavirus, and we were planning to talk about the felt sense in SE. But right now, it's hard to ignore what's happening. So we're going to kind of feel our way into the topic or uh, what might feel more right as we talk. That sounds yeah. great. Sounds good. Sounds good. I, I know that in every um, consultation with a therapist I've done in the past week, week and a half, every session I've done with clients, no matter what the um, the material is that, that a client or a practitioner want to focus on, um, it, the, what's happening internationally right now, what's happening locally, regionally, et cetera, as well, is in the field and in the body, body's response to it. So it's here. It's here, and it's in our felt sense, and we're experiencing it to varying degrees of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. So it's in our body and in our felt sense. It's here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was doing a consult with a with one of my SE students this morning, and she was describing how with her clients last week, she was okay. She was grounded. She was pretty settled. But by the beginning of this week, she was and, – and you could see it in how she was holding her body, really constricted here, pulled in a little bit more. Her breathing was more shallow. And all of her spiritual practices, movement, meditation – her, her spiritual communities, yoga, she teaches yoga as well, um, were not working, in her words. They're not working. And uh, in, she was experiencing what we, we discussed together was real compassion exhaustion beyond fatigue. She was exhausted holding all of this. So we did quite a bit of work with, with the constriction and opening and constriction and opening into a felt sense of a little more expansion and gradually, feeling through the fatigue, she was able to sort of come out the other side of it and be more expansive and more compassionate with herself in the compassion fatigue, right? And felt a lot more settled. And, and, and that felt sense of moving into the, the constriction a little bit and expanding out of it and gradually, sort of like that accordion, right? The accordion uh, really... Uh, welcomed her back. She was able to welcome herself back um, uh, out, uh, you know, out of that exhaustion, that fatigue, and into a place of really, I think, more self-compassion as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's so much that, uh, you know, it's, um, it's really hard to stay with it. And the work that you did had to do with that sense of constriction, Expanding, constriction, expanding. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's so important. You know, the one of the things that I love about somatic experiencing is this focus on movement back and forth between uh, elements of a polarity. You know, so this idea, Peter's idea of pendulation, you know, movement back and forth between expansion and contraction. 
And it can be so easy for systems to get locked down into the contraction, the constriction when times are tough. And, you know, so important, I think, especially for those of us that are naturally inclined to be of service, to be helpers, to remember how important it is to get support ourselves. So knowing that a lot of the people that might be listening to this or watching this video are themselves in the helping professions, um, therapists, maybe body workers, other somatic practitioners, um, we can, I think, get caught up in a sense that once things become challenging for the broader populace, our role is to come in as the helper and to make sure that everybody else is doing okay. And we forget that old adage, you know, that you have to secure your own mask before assisting others. Um, Mm. So, you know, uh, noticing if there's any, like, even the act of tapping into our felt sense momentarily, what comes up for people as we do that? You know, is there potentially a sense of shame or a sense of being selfish when I take time to look at my own experience, to look at my own embodied process? Uh, And is there any way that we can invite ourselves out of that and to just recognize how important it is, not just for ourselves, but for everybody, you know, that we're, we're doing as well as we can in the midst of the challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're describing in this time when we talk so much about lockdown, you're describing the possibility of being in a lockdown with a role of helper. And being locked down there means um, a sense of great difficulty in stepping into ourselves and, uh, you know, encountering shame if we try to pay attention to ourselves. And that is counterproductive. Yeah. And, and it's such an interesting term, right? The term lockdown, that, that that in many ways is the nature of being traumatized. We're locked down. We're locked into a very limited range. And, and the, 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 the idea, the concept that Joshua was talking about in terms of pendulation is about rhythmicity. And if we're locked down, like in any other kind of trauma experience, our felt sense is locked into very, very limited level, number, amount, um, um, other of qualities of experience. And, and to bring that rhythmicity back really is a hallmark of healing from trauma. Um, and, and even as a practitioner, a healer, a helper, we need to have rhythmicity. So if that means, for example, taking a five-second vacation while you're with a client you know just give yourself that moment i'm going to soften i'm going to be attuned but disengage for five seconds and then come back that is a pendulation that is rhythmicity right and and again like you were saying joshua don't be afraid to seek your own help we have to do that yeah so so the sense of um uh life is movement is rhythmicity and lockdown is actually that rigidity or most rigor mortis, but certainly trauma. And you're suggesting something very simple uh, or apparently very simple, just the permission to have for five seconds to not be so focused. Um, and I want to maybe highlight a little bit how that might be a little more difficult uh, these days when we don't work in person, but we work on screen. And in person, it's easier to look around. But with the screen, it tends to focus 
uh, on the client and the client to focus on you. So maybe that's a you know little more extra effort to uh, to do what you suggested. It might be. I have a couple of suggestions about that, if I might. In that, a couple yeah, a couple of things. One is that we can still wiggle. We can still move. It's important not for our bodies not to lock down. And when a client's eyes move away from their camera for a moment, move your own eyes away for a moment. It, that's okay. And, and, and in fact, uh, a, 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 an imperative of connection, bonding, attachment early on is mirroring. So in a certain way, that is a mirroring. It's a kind of odd mirroring through a camera, but it is still a mirroring. It's okay to take a moment, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, And we can also uh, use that as an opportunity to do some uh, psychoeducation, you know, just to say, uh, you know, this, this, this looking around, this being aware of your surroundings, you know, we've known since the 60s is correlated with heart rate deceleration. You know, our, our heart rate goes down when this orienting reflex gets to happen. And, uh, you know, we know additionally now that it makes things like the default mode uh, network less active. And it may help us to not be spinning out in, you know, what Peter called the, the trauma vortex uh, in our day-to-day -day living. And so the more that we actually get grounded in checking out our surroundings, the better. So I might even, you know, with my clients just say, hey, let's just take a minute and, uh, and do this together and, you know, take a moment, settle a little bit, and then come back. Yeah. And try to build in, as Dave was saying, that rhythmicity, you know, where we, we take some time, we're engaging, and then we, you know, look around. I had a, in, in a consult I was doing recently, I had a, a practitioner say that they had read somewhere that, you know, fixing one's eyes on the screen is similar to some hypnotherapy protocols. Mm. And this idea that it can be, you know, possibly a little bit, you know, a small amount trance-inducing to look at the screen. And so probably maybe even especially important in that context just to occasionally take a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice yeah I'm thinking of this idea of rhythmicity, too, in terms of our scheduling. How many of us are used to scheduling back to back to back to back clients? Oh, I get 15 minutes of lunch. Back to back to back clients. Well. I strongly urge now to take 15 minutes between clients. Schedule yourselves differently in terms of your own physiology, your own physical bodies, uh, your own thought processes. Move away from being a therapist for 15 minutes and then back to being a therapist for 15 minutes, for 45, 50, 55 minutes. Um, that is really, really important as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so we're talking about I, um, that um, rhythmicity within the session and that sense of not hyper-focused but introducing that movement and flexibility in our own work life and shifting from therapist role to, again, I'm a person and back and maybe having that sense of that back and forth being embodied, you know, throughout our work day. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, I want to get a little toy. This is one of the toys we 
use in SC teaching is rhythmicity. And in trauma or lockdown, where are we? We're here, or maybe here, or sometimes out here, right? But we don't have a full range of a felt sense, an experience from within, of emotions, of movement. So we really want to support practitioners and clients in finding this again. Yeah. Holborn Spear, it's called. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 I'll just, uh, briefly, I just want to name too that uh, this being creative and our scheduling is so important too uh, for those of us who are uh, home now with little ones. Um, Because, you know, what I'm noticing for myself is in the old days, you know, I would be at home with my family, then I would leave, I would get in my car, I'd have a you know, 15 minute ish drive and I would sort of psychologically transition and then I would arrive at my office and there was all of the interesting, you know, state dependent memory that would come on there and I would sit down in my chair and get ready to do my work. Now, uh, you know, it's like I leave the room that I do my, my online sessions in and I walk 10 paces and then there's family, you know, have a, a three and a seven year old at home and, you know, they're, um, that's, that's some big energy, you know, so it can go, you know, it can be going from the session and then just right into this, this other negotiation, um, with activation. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm concerned for myself and, you know, for others that we might be in a situation where we're just holding, 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 and you know, there's um, there's not much of that rhythmic alternation between you know activation and deactivation. Yeah. So you know maybe that building a 15 minute pause in between clients into our schedule, and then taking those 15 minutes maybe just to sit quietly with ourselves or walk outside if we can, rather than diving back into uh, you know. Uh, being with the kids, you know, just as much as we can. I know that, you know, this isn't going to be realistic for everybody, um, but wherever possible to take those, those moments of respite for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I want to stay there a little bit. You mentioned a couple of different things. You mentioned the pause, which is, you know, obviously something between sessions. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, and you mentioned the, the thing about uh, being in the helm and uh, not having that buffer zone, um, you know, that no man's land between the two countries, but just uh, it, it happens instantly and we don't have the, the time to, to manage the transition. And, mm-hmm. and so the common point is between clients managing the transitions and managing the transitions is essentially reconnecting to our own experience as opposed to just mechanically going from I'm here where I'm needed and I'm of service to this person and I'm here where I'm needed and I'm doing this or here I'm with my kids and they want that. But, you know, just kind of coming back to here I am and I exist and how do I feel, you know, something of that nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and then there's the importance of, you know, for example, those, those 15 feet between you and your kids can you feel your feet walking there right can you drop in even that way in a walking meditation or don't even need to use the word meditation but an awareness of the movement of self of body self 
um, in that transition. And then there's the other kind of end of that continuum too, where I'm, a, I'm in a home office, I'm on the screen, and then when I leave my home office, I'm, there is nobody else. So there is no um, shifting of relational dynamics uh, beyond that. And there may be many practitioners in that situation too who can't go to their yoga class in the evening or to the gym or walk with a friend close. You've got to walk physically distanced, physically distanced. So in, in so many scenarios, the dynamics have changed. What do we need to do to go with that change for now? And and the awareness of it is what the felt sense is, right? The internal experience. And then can it be verbalized, even verbalized out loud to yourself. You know, it is important to externalize it. Many yeah. different variations of this this theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what you're pointing out is, say, um, for instance, what you said at the beginning about walking mindfully. It's not an exercise in mindfulness as something abstract, but is paying attention to the physical experience of walking is a way of drawing your attention into yourself. So it's really about, you know, who's inside, what's happening inside, who am I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, ha I had this interesting experience a number of days ago um, where I was... I was walking, I live in a very walkable neighborhood and I was walking up the street and, you know, as we're doing now, we're seeing people physically distance and, you know, two people are coming and a little too close. What happens? One or both are supposed to move away. And so I'm feeling my body do this. And then I'm thinking, Oh, how's that person responding to me? And uh, they I had that brief moment, oh, that person might might be dangerous because they might have the virus, right? And so and I put that away and and then got to thinking, wow, what else might this be tapping into from someone's history? Right? So this, oh, they're dangerous thought in this transmission, right? And then walking on. Well, that's what we do, that's what we see, that's what someone can experience when they're in um in a population that's underrepresented. You know, sort of name your ism in a way, right? Oh, they don't look like me. I'm going to move away because they're dangerous. Then there's the thought, virus, possibly dangerous, right? So can I, as the person who's moving away, be very conscious of moving my body away, but not disconnect, not project out these emotions, these thought processes that are are you know, from stories from someone else I've heard or from personal experience that way. How do I experience those in my own being, in my own body, in my own felt sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a reality to the fact that when we are observing social distancing, we are acting on that uh, perception. You are other and therefore you are danger. And um, there is a risk that people who have been socialized by being othered and potentially dangerous, that this reinforces the trauma. And so yeah. that navigating that zone between distancing, but also connecting or not disconnecting. Right. And so, I mean, since we're speaking about isms, you know, so many different 
uh, enactments of you know marginalization and oppression uh, over the the last few you know centuries have revolved also around this idea of people as being dirty. You know, mm-hmm. like the the other is often seen as as living in squalid conditions or in some other way living some kind of lifestyle that makes them less clean. And you know, I really think that this historical moment is an interesting time to reflect on you know, these sorts of notions that we get of other people as less clean or less pure in some way, you know, than than ourselves. And, you know, I really noticed that as I'm out in the world, you know, like, let's say hiking on the trail, and, you know, we're, we're trying to give each other lots of space. I'm like, I'm doing extra in terms of trying to show up and have some ventral connection with people, Mm -hmm. ventral vagal, uh, social engagement, you know, just to, just to try to, in whatever way I can help our collective system to settle a little bit so that any tendencies to be in that space of like, you know, you're, you're not a safe person. You're maybe, uh, you know, not a clean person that I want to be around, you know, that we can try to mitigate that as much as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you bring it to the uh, to the notion of ventral vagal, and so to that notion of managing activation, knowing which part of our system, nervous system, is engaged, and uh, in which part of our nervous system is engaged, how it may resonate with the other person, uh, and you know, more dramatically uh, reinforce some patterns there. And so that sense of uh, in the distancing, managing, you know, how we uh, use social engagement to create more calm. Right, right. Yeah, we we need to physically distance, but we don't need to socially distance. Yeah. And can I, when I when I need to give more space, move around, or or, or speak at a distance from, with somebody, can I hold the intention that I'm with you? I want to be with you. I want to connect. I'm just physically further away. That way. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe that might be helped a little bit uh, by the sense that we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't it interesting? I, I can't remember who I heard say this first. It was sometime last week. Uh, how this distancing, this requirement, demand in some places, requirement um, recommendation in other places of being further physically apart is actually in some ways bringing us closer together. You know, the, the world is in this together, mm-hmm. in it together. Can we act like that now? Yeah. Can we function like that? Yeah. 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 So in that paradoxical way that we become more conscious that we're yeah. all in inhabiting that same world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spaceship Earth. And just to name, too, one of the things that I'm hearing from folks as we're having these larger discussions about, you know, the pandemic is that we're all in the same boat in terms of facing, you know, this virus and what it's doing to ourselves, our families, our communities, the economy, you know, all that stuff. But then there are ways in which different people are impacted differently, you know, and so... 
some people, you know, we, for instance, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, shelter in place, you know, stay home, stay safe for people who are houseless, you know, they're having a really different experience of, of this whole period of time, you know, and, uh, to, to think too about how, you know, it, like it's easy for me here at home to imagine, you know, deserted empty streets and, you know, everybody kind of in their own homes. Um, but I know that that's not what's actually going on, you know? And so it's kind of, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, there's certainly people I think who are perhaps more vulnerable than others. And so to kind of hold that curiosity, you know, as we're talking about how there is really this, this real possibility that this brings us together in a meaningful sense, you know, it's to recognize that there's together, but it also, um, exacerbates the vulnerability of people who are already vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it might actually make it more of a chasm because um, we have a relative safety despite all the uncertainty and the danger compared to people who are much more vulnerable. It, it may, and this might be looking at it through, you know, rose colored lenses it might also give those of us with varying different kinds of privilege an opportunity to realize that we too are very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And might we be able to uh, see the vulnerability of others that might be vulnerable, um, not because of the virus, but because of other circumstances, economic, race, gender, gender identification, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's interesting. We were talking earlier about um, the tendency for people who are in helping professions to have compassion fatigue. And we talked about the need to move out of that, to breathe out of it a bit. And now we're talking about a different kind of compassion, which is not to forget ourselves into being of service, but into having that broader awareness through our own suffering, our own sense of vulnerability, of how much vulnerability there is in the world, and maybe find a way to be united through that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderfully said. Is this a good place to end, or do, would you feel like um, you want to add something? I feel like it's quite good. Yeah. No, there's like, the, there's a warmth in me, uh, having had you sort of tie things together in that way, Serge. And, um, it's just been a really sweet conversation. Um, mm-hmm. it's been fun, like, you know, just to see the different things that people say and what that brings up in each of us. And yeah, yeah. great to leave, leave off here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, thanks for, actually pointing this, I I do feel a sense of warmth and connection. And in a way, I feel more connected to the two of you than if we had had, uh, in different times, a conversation. Mm. So um, I do appreciate that sense of connection we've had. Thank Mm. you. Yeah. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Serge. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. This is part of the Relational Implicit podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to relationalimplicit.com.